As you can tell uh, from the three ladies sitting behind me that this morning's message is a little bit different, uh, and I want to kind of let you know where we're at if you were not here last week. We're doing this series titled Living Life As, and we're talking about four different topics, living life as a man, living life as a woman, living life as a married person, and living life as a single person. And so this is a bit of an odd sermon series because not every sermon applies to you. Uh, Only two of the sermons will actually apply to you because you're either married or single and because you're either a man or a woman. And so it's a little bit different in that regard. um, But at the same time, I feel like this series is so necessary because the culture around us has so distorted what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman and what a healthy marriage looks like and what it means to be a, a single person. The culture around us has very much distorted that. And so we want to come back and say, what does God say about what these things mean in our lives? What does it mean to be a man of God, a woman of God, a marriage that's centered on God, and a single person who's sold out for God? So we're going to talk about these things over the next four weeks. And so uh, this morning, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a woman created in the image of God, the woman that God created you to be. And uh, if you were here last week, I gave four kind of, I gave a number of ground rules for the women as, the, as I talked to the men. And so quid pro quo, there's some things that the men are the men need to know about the women's sermon today. So last week I told the women no elbowing, no stares, and no nagging, right, were among some of the things that I said. But men, we just, are, we just need it simpler, like three things, four things, that's too complicated for us. So it's only one thing, if you're a man, one thing you need to do this morning one thing, pay attention. That's it. Pay attention. Because you're going to want to pay attention to encourage the women in your lives, your wife, your sister, your mother, your children, on these things. And you might actually, and I think you'll actually learn some things about yourself as well. So without further ado, let me pray, and then we'll hear from some of these ladies. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning, this opportunity that we have to hear from these wonderful women of God. I pray that as they speak, that your Holy Spirit would speak through them and that we would hear what you want each one of us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. So my name is Stacy Santon, and I just want to start by saying what a blessing and honor it is for the three of us to speak to you all about life as a woman And as much as I do adore my husband, I'm really glad that it's the three of us up here speaking rather than him. I would hope that we would have a little bit more insight about life as a woman. So as I was beginning to think about what God wanted me to share in the sermon, I was reminded of a text exchange I had just had that week with a friend of mine who whose life is just busy, and uh, she just has some health issues going on, so I texted her to kind of check in, and her response back to me was simple. She said, good enough. So I texted back, good enough is good enough. But as I was started thinking about the sermon and preparing for it, I realized that so many of us as women live in that mentality that good enough is good enough. If we can just get through this day or get through this week, that'll be good enough. If you're like me, if we can get through this school year, life will be good enough. If I have enough money to make it till the end of the month, it'll be good enough. If we can limp along in our marriage until our kids graduate, that'll be good enough. Or if I can protect my heart against the grief of a strained or 
lost relationship. That'll be good enough. But I'm here to suggest to you all that good enough is not good enough because God has so much more for us. And I do believe that God is going to convince each one of us of some truths through his word this morning. So let me pray for us. God, you are welcome here. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you have brought each person here on purpose and that you have a very unique plan in what you are going to share with them this morning. So, Lord, we do offer you our hearts, and we ask, God, that you would have your way with us this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I think the, the reason that we settle for good enough is that we don't see ourselves as God sees us. We decide who we are by how we see ourselves. Do I matter? Do I even like me? Do I have a purpose? And so these negative thoughts kind of circulate through our brains these lies that Satan feeds us that we start to believe about ourselves. But I think even more shaky is that we decide who we are based on what other people say of, our, say of us. Am I lovable? Am I valuable? Do people even like me? And so we live in this constantly shifting view of who we are based on what we think and what others think about us. And so that makes us having a decent day or having kind of a crisis-free week make good enough be good enough. But it's not, because God sees us very differently, and it's good, and it's complete, and it's perfect. I have my Bible study ladies praying for me that I wouldn't cry through this whole thing. So come on, ladies. <laughs> Kick it in. So I want to do something a little different this morning. I want to read a verse together. If you all could put up 1 John 3.1. And I spend a lot of my time in river camp with second and third grade girls. And every week in river camp, we have our key verse that the kids and the leaders read together. And so we're going to do that together this morning. 1 John 3.1. Read with me. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. We are children of God. Let's let that sink in and adjust us. Because just as a parent loves his or her child and delights in his or her child, our God delights in us and rejoices over us. Just as a parent fights for and defends his or her child, our God fights for us and protects us. I truly cannot imagine the devastation that could have happened to me that God protected me from. Or the things that he protected me from when I lived so recklessly before I met Christ, I can't imagine. And just as a parent loves giving good gifts to his or her child, 
Our Father loves giving us good gifts that draw our hearts and our attention to his goodness. And just as a parent has what's best for their child, wants what's best for their child, our God has the best plans for us. And so often we ignore those or we go our own way, but his desire is for us to lay down our plans and walk on the path of life that he has marked out for us because that is where we find true rest for our souls as we depend on our Father and let him have his way in our lives. So I hope you're encouraged in this. I hope you're encouraged by the fact that you are a child of God and you have a perfect father. That is who he is and that is who we are. Even better, point two, we are the object of his affection and nothing can change that. He is the lover of our souls and he loves us extravagantly and relentlessly. I want to read to you um, Paul's prayer to the people of Ephesus because this is my prayer for us. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how high, excuse me, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. God loves us. He adores us. And we will never grasp the vastness of his perfect love for us. Scripture says it surpasses knowledge. But as God opens up our eyes to his goodness and to his perfect love for us, then we begin to understand that that kind of perfect love has what's best for us and is what truly fills us. So I want to share a story with you, a love story, if you will. And it begins when I was in college. So I was a Texas girl being pursued by a Texas boy. And this was, he was a great guy. And, um, you know, all of our friends wanted us to end up together and they were rooting for us and thought we'd be the perfect couple. But there was a bit of a plot twist at this point because I had been pen pals with this guy that I'd met the summer after my senior year in high school from Cincinnati. Advanced four years, we're now seniors in college we decide maybe it would be a good idea for him to come visit. He goes to school in Connecticut. I'm in Texas. He comes. But at that point, I start dating the Texas guy. And on paper and in kind of my plans, the Texas guy looks pretty good because Matt Santon has a few strikes against him. (laughs) So first of all, he doesn't yet know the importance of opening a door for a lady. That was lost on him. Nor did he understand this kind of over-the-top Texas friendliness that I had become very accustomed to. But probably the biggest strike against Matt 
was that at that point, I'd committed to a two-years master's program at my university in Texas, and he lived and did ministry in Cleveland. So, you know where I'm going with that, right? But God had different plans, because Matt Santon stole my heart. I couldn't have imagined life with him before, but now I can't imagine life without him. My plan A was not God's plan A, and his plans always win. I was amazed by the beauty and the perfection of his plan. I still am. His plans are perfect, and they are for our good. So how would life look if we took God at his word, if we truly believed that he delights in us and that he lavishes us with his love? Well, I'm convinced that we wouldn't settle for good enough anymore, that we wouldn't settle for seeking the love and approval of others to make us feel okay about ourselves. We would bask in the ocean of God's love for us and stop taking our empty hands to others to fill us up. God alone would fill us to the fullness of the measure of God. That is God's desire for us. So how do we get there? It kind of sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? But that is God's heart for us, ladies, that we would know in the depth of our core that he loves us perfectly and completely. That is the unchanging truth. His desire is to convince us of how he sees us and to align how we see ourselves with how he sees us. And only he can make it happen as we give him our time and our attention. And the way that it looks in my life is morning by morning, I get up early and I give God my attention. And it's not always pretty. And sometimes it's a real battle to get out of bed. But God has created in me a desire that only he can fill. And the verse that I envision when I have my time with Jesus is a verse from Song of Songs, chapter 2. And this is a husband speaking to his bride. But this is the way I see my God speaking to me. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. It's not a have to, and it's certainly not a checklist. That is who I was created to be, is to be with Jesus and let him fill me up. That what I was, that's who I was created to be. And as I quiet my heart before him, and as I entrust my burdens in my day to him, he stirs my affection for him. And as I fill my heart by reading the truth of scripture, he realigns how I see myself with how he sees me. I often end my time with him by saying and truly meaning, Jesus, you have won my heart and I am yours. So ladies, let's give God the opportunity to speak his love over us. Let's take him up on his promise that he will draw near to us as we draw near to him. 
Let's offer him our hearts so that he can fill us to overflowing with his intimate love for us. Amen? And as we walk out of our time with him, armed with truth and enveloped in his love, then we can be women of purpose and of power. And now I have the privilege of introducing you to my friend Betsy, who is the embodiment of purpose and power. And she is going to tell you what that looks like in her life. Thank you so much for listening. Hi, good morning. Um, I'm Betsy. Um, and just as Stacey was talking about, wow, when we spend that time with God and he fills us up, he just ignites a passion in our hearts that we're just so incapable of on our own. And I am incredibly passionate about living life on mission for God, about giving of ourselves to love others. And I just feel so blessed to be able to share with you all this morning. And I think when we ask ourselves, though, what is my purpose? What is my mission here on this earth? That the answer for us as believers is found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all those who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So that's the mission. We know we're to love God, and we're to love others, and we are to be the salt and light to this world. And I really just pray that the words that God has given me this morning will help each one of us just dive into our souls and to explore how he calls each one of us to be salt and light, to live our lives as a song revealing who he is. And God has made it very clear to me um, that life on mission, that this, it's a cycle. I mean, it's a constant process. But when I think about a cycle, I think about brokenness and reveal around this circle with the light of Jesus in the middle. And as women, we can easily find ourselves feeling very broken as the demands of our lives consume us. We feel the weight of the world upon us. We compare ourselves to other women, to other moms, you might compare yourself to other wives, colleagues. You might struggle with insecurities. But when we see our brokenness and when we see our sin and our hurt, we go to Jesus. And he fills us up with what we are so incapable of on our own. Because I'm not capable of that type of love. I'm not capable of that type of peace and patience and joy and kindness and self-control. But God feels that, and he puts it in me, and he puts it in each one of you, and then once it's inside of us, it can overflow. And once it overflows, that's when God reveals, and I think he reveals in so many different ways.
But as his love pours out of us, his greatness is revealed to those who he puts in our lives. It's not me they're seeing. It's not Betsy Schott they're seeing loving on them. It's God who they see loving on them. It's his light pouring out. And I think that when we first see a need, and we all do this, we see people who are hurting, we see people who are hungry, we see a need. And we're like, yes, yes, I want to live my life for Jesus. I want to help the hurting people. And so we have to be intentional here, though. We have to freely offer ourselves to take part and to help however we can. And let me just tell you, this is not an invitation. It's not like God's saying, come if you want to. No, this is a command. If we're believers, he commands us to go and love our neighbors as ourselves. But you can't just do that. I mean, from that verse, it's like we we got to put the light up, right? We can't just stay hidden. So we have to come up with a plan. How is our light going to shine in our communities? For me, that plan includes delivering meals on wheels. It means uh, mission trips to Haiti, being a homework buddy at the Second Avenue Center, taking meals to new parents, all those things. For you, you know, we just had to say yes. You just watched a little video of a lot of teenagers who said yes. And you might decide to pour into some kids and make a difference here at church or in other ways in Charleston in our community, providing meals at Second Avenue Center. But guess what? It doesn't just happen if we're not proactive. We have to come up with a plan and be intentional. And then, though, once we're intentional and we sign up and we say, yes, Lord, here I am, use me, then the craziest things begin to happen. Because we saw this need. We saw, oh, there's a, there's a need here in this community. I'll fill it, right? You want to make a difference in somebody else's life. But what really starts to happen is God reveals things in your own heart and he begins to change you so much more than the people who he sent you to be the light to. He reveals the ugly in our hearts and he reveals the selfishness and our pride and our judgment and our stubbornness and he reveals more and more of that brokenness. But since our goal is to help others, I think these self-examination questions don't come naturally but they are essential. And I think the answers are revealed to our spirits in one way or another. And I want to share with you one morning um, of how God humbled me and revealed some pretty ugly in my heart. Uh, Several years ago, I was serving breakfast every Wednesday morning down at Manameal. And I loved the folks I served with down there, and I loved the lessons that God taught me. And one particular Wednesday morning... You know, when you go down there, there's, I mean, there's not just like a dozen homeless, hungry folks. There's hundreds of them, right? And one morning, my job was to serve the boiled eggs to them. And so I was standing at my little spot, and they would come up with their line with their trays. And the first few men through the line, I gave two boiled eggs to, because I gave one to, and they said, can I have another? Sure, you can have another. I gave them two eggs, right? But I soon found out that if I gave two eggs to every man, that we wouldn't have enough for everybody, So I was told, only give one egg, Betsy. So I said, okay. So then what happens is the men start coming down through the line, and I give them one egg, and they look at me, and they're like, where's my other egg? And I said, only one egg today. And they would just stand there and glare at me. And not only did they just kind of stand there, they'd put their trays kind of closer to me, and they would give me the ugliest looks, 
But their words were worse. I mean, here these men were cussing at me and fussing at me because I was only giving them one egg. And I just, I mean, one after another, there they were, just this ticked off look on their face, mad as can be that they're only getting one egg for breakfast. So, as I said, their looks were bad, their words were ugly, and they were ticked off. And by the end of my one-hour shift, I was really ticked off too. I mean, it became harder and harder just to stand there and smile and be nice and give one egg, right? And I remember what was going on in my head as I left. I was like, what ungrateful, selfish, unappreciative people. I mean, this is a free breakfast they're getting. Can't they just be thankful that they're here getting food to eat? I mean, there's cereal, there's fresh fruit, there's all kinds of other stuff, and they're griping at me because they only got one egg? Couldn't they just be content? How selfish. So I get in the car, I come to the church office to work that morning, and I tell my colleagues how crappy my morning at Manamil had been. And Matt, our wonderful pastor, who is also my dear friend and boss, looks at me, and he gently reminds me that sometimes serving isn't pleasurable or fun. But Betsy, that's not why we do what we do, right? Serving's not always going to be fun. And this was a good and valuable lesson for me. And I was thankful for his wise words because that's what we do. We spur each other on. But I had no idea the lesson that God had later for me that evening. So that night, I met my son. He's in middle school at the time, and we're at his soccer game. And I'm sitting there watching the game, uh, you know, watching him with my friends. And one of my friends tells me, she's like, guess what? I was like, what? She says, it's dressed like a pirate day at Krispy Kreme. If you dress like a pirate and go in there, you get a dozen donuts. I was like, oh, that's awesome. So she says, yeah, all you got to do is put on a bandana, an eye patch, and grab a sword and walk in there and go, ahoy, matey, and they'll give you a dozen donuts. It's sweet. So I can hardly, I mean, no one might have even scored that night. I don't know. But I'm so entrenched about these donuts that I'm like, okay, as soon as the game is over, I grab Chloe, Noah, and Mary Taylor, and we go home, we make our eye patches, we put our bandanas on, we get our swords, and we drive to Krispy Kreme. And we walk in, and I'm like, ahoy, matey, we're here for our donuts. And the girl behind the counter, she reaches in, and she gets one donut for Betsy, one for Noah, one for Chloe, one for Mary Taylor. And I just stood there, and I stared at her. And in my head, I was like, what? I'm supposed to get a dozen donuts. She only gave me one. So that's what's screaming in my head. But I smiled at her, and I said, no, I think you're mistaken. I think we're dressed like pirates. We're supposed to get a dozen donuts each, right? And she goes, no, no, you have to be head to toe in pirate gear to get the dozen donuts. And I look at her and I smile and I said, but no, my friends came and they were dressed just like us and they got a dozen each. And she goes, no, sorry, she wasn't budging. It was only one donut each for the shock pirates. So the kids and I, We hung our heads low. We walked out to the car to eat our one donut. Now, there are times when it takes me a little while to figure out what God is doing in my life, but come on. Like, he just poured a bucket of cold water on my head here. I was, it hurts me now. I mean, it hurts me now to look back and think that I thought I was better than those homeless men I was serving that morning. Now, they were selfish, and they were unappreciative. But guess what? So am I, and maybe even more so. 
God humbled me that night at Krispy Kreme, and he reminded me of my own selfishness. We are all so weak. We are all so weak, and our human nature is sinful. And in that parking lot, as we ate our donuts, I told my children about the homeless men only getting one egg and their apparent selfishness. But man, God used those donuts to teach me I'm just the same. We are all the same. We are all broken. There is no us and them. It's, you know, no, we're all equal. And individually, I think, when we inspect our lives and our hearts and we begin to really, really grasp our brokenness, that's when big stuff starts happening. When we can be vulnerable in our own pain, new ways of serving can and will be revealed to us in mighty ways. Because our serving should be cultivating just as much change in us as the actions are for those we came to serve. And so when we're fully moving through this cycle, which propelled us to intentionally be on mission, he continues to move us. And we find our cups overflowing so that his love and the Holy Spirit just pours out of us spontaneously. The Holy Spirit resides within our hearts and it stirs us to move. It stirs us to listen to the prompting of him in the moment. And these are moments that we must seize, that we cannot ignore. And I want to share with you um, a very poignant way the Holy Spirit just worked in my heart. And it was on our last spring trip just a couple of months ago when we went to Haiti. And our group of women accompanied the sisters to the home of the destitute and the dying. We went into the rooms. One was full of men and the other was full of women. Each had about 40 or so twin beds. They were all ages, the very elderly and the young, but they were all dying. Many were HIV positive, while tuberculosis was another leading cause of their presence there. So we joined the patients who were able to the Good Friday Mass service, and then our group divided. Some of us went to the men's room, while others went to the women's room. So I went to the men's room, joined by my daughter, Mary Taylor, and another good friend of ours, Olivia. And after just a few moments of being in that room, I was, I was standing at a man's bed, and Olivia came and grabbed my arm, and she motioned me over to a man who was dying and enduring much suffering as he wailed in the bed. A sister and the priest and all the men who were able, along with me and Olivia and Mary Taylor, surrounded his bed as he received his last rites. The priest said a blessing over him and sprinkled and doused him with holy water. And I gripped Olivia's arms and I cried as I prayed for the Lord just to take him home where he would be restored and hear the mighty angels singing, holy, holy, holy. Now when the priest finished, I stood there for a few minutes. I was somewhat paralyzed and broken at what we had just experienced. But as we dispersed, I stood there and I didn't know what to do. But the Holy Spirit just took over within me. He told me what to do, and I acted. And I went to each and every man who was in that room, 
I went to each and every bed, and I hugged each man and kissed his cheeks. And they each held me tight, as if it had been forever since arms had held them. They gazed in my eyes, and as we held one another, their eyes lit up as they smiled at me after being kissed and shown love. Some were in bed, motionless and hurting, yet for a brief moment, they felt love and joy. Others were sitting up in wheelchairs, and they reached back for more and more hugs, and the love was immense. I just wanted to stay in that moment forever, because it gave me great love and joy, too. Because we all need to know that we matter. We all need to know that we are loved. These promptings from God cannot be ignored. And I've surely had moments in my life when I have ignored them. When I've gotten home from being somewhere and thought, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I say that? I don't want to live that way. I want to live each and every one of my days here on this earth following his commands. I want to trade my eyes that just see, and I want his vision. I don't want to trade my ears that just hear to really listen to what he's saying to me. Now, I shared a prompting from Haiti, but my goodness, this happens every day. It happens when I'm cross-gardening in the morning, and I see a discouraged child or parent. It happens at the grocery store. It happens out and about when I see somebody who needs help. Everybody who is put in our path, God, just put that light on them and let me see when they need prayer and love and encouragement. And you know what? We don't need to know why they're hurting. We don't need to understand why they're hurting, what the problem is, because it is not about me. It's not about you. It's not about us. It's about being the light of Jesus to a broken world. And then when we live our lives this way, when we intentionally live our lives on mission, when we listen to the Holy Spirit prompting us, then the most beautiful natural overflow happens in our lives. And if we are moms, this beautiful spilling over of our mission hearts happens with our children. When we live authentically, when we share our passion with them, We influence them. We go on mission with them so that what began when they were little becomes so ingrained in their hearts. It is a part of who they become and who they are. These little bitty people, these young people, they turn into big people who choose to spend their spring breaks on mission, loving others in Haiti or New Orleans. They choose to spend their summers on work crew at Young Life camps so that others will come to know Jesus. They choose to spend their afternoons at the Second Avenue Center as homework buddies and loving on the kids there. They're small group leaders in river camp and preschool. They choose to spread the love of Jesus anywhere and everywhere God sends them, in their schools, in their community, on the soccer field. Because the light from Jesus shines through them as it shined on them from us. They own their faith. And they are people who don't just tell people. They don't just tell others about Jesus' immense love. They show it daily. 
on a mission with their actions. And my prayer for each one of us this morning is that our hearts are set on fire for the Lord, that we respond to his command to intentionally live on mission, that we spontaneously respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting, and then we experience the beauty of the overflow on our precious children. And this path, this cycle, this process, as Stacy has shared and I've shared, it's seldom easy and it takes time. It's so worth it. And my sweet friend Christy is getting ready to share how that has looked in her life and a little bit of her story. So thank you. You have me powered. Oh, they do. <laughs> I started talking earlier this morning, and I was talking to myself. So, um, oh, this is so awesome. I can't wait to listen to it so that I can make notes on what Betsy and, and um, Stacy have shared. But um, Stacy's words intentional, or I'm sorry, Betsy's words intentional and spontaneous, That those are just really speaking volumes to me. Um, hi, everybody. My name's Christy, and... Um, if I'd have been sitting where you were sitting 10 years ago and heard what you heard from Stacy about being filled by God and from Betsy about giving ourselves away by God and being on mission, I would have both been inspired and overwhelmed. And I, I am that today also, not only 10 years ago, but I, I am that also today. We hear talks like this and we want to become the women of God that God wants us to be, but getting from here to there is not always easy, and we never fully arrive. Something that has helped me along the way is that I've heard over and over again here at River Ridge, we are not meant to do life alone. I've seen and experienced that wisdom and encouragement of being in community. The book of Ecclesiastes is said to be a book of wisdom, and one of my favorite scriptures is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. This chapter speaks of oppression, toil, and friendlessness. It tells of a wealthy man that is alone without a son or brother, and he was miserable in his wealthy life because even though he had the money and the worldly riches, he did not have community. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 says, Two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls, who has no one to help them up. I want to share my story of how I've learned the importance of community and intentionally allowed God to transform my life, to be filled up and to be used by Him and sent out on mission. I want to share with you very briefly three things. Uh oh. Wrong page. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm the ministry leader for Celebrate Recovery here at River Ridge. I grew up in the church and graduated high school from a Christian school, learned a lot about God, religious practices, and had many women in my life that modeled what a woman of God looks like. My mother was the foundation of godly women. I was very good at practicing religion. It wasn't until later in my life that I allowed him to make my mess, to take my mess and turn it into a masterpiece. He's still working on that masterpiece. I'm not actually a masterpiece yet. 
He's still working. About five and a half years ago, I was at a place in my life where I was emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and physically bankrupt. I ha- I've had hurtful, heartbreaking, and toxic relationships. I had absolutely nothing about to give anyone and wondered if God that I was taught so much about really even existed. And if he did, then where was he? I took a half a crawl toward faith, which really felt like less than that, but I had absolutely nowhere else to go for hope. I started what we at Celebrate Recovery call a recovery journey, and for me it was a life change journey because I needed change, and I really had no idea what recovery was really all about. I thought, I don't need recovery. That's for people with substance abuse, people that are addicted to alcohol or drugs. Right? Wrong. (laughs) I learned that I did need recovery for many hurts that I had obtained during my lifetime. Those hurts caused me to develop habits and hang-ups that were no good for me and keeping me from a relationship from my maker. My whole life up to this point, I had been searching for a relationship to fill that one desire that only God can fill. I was searching in the wrong places, a lot of wrong places, searching for it in things and expecting people, humans, to feel that desire. It was through this recovery journey that I discovered who God really is and traded my religious practices for a relationship, the relationship I had been searching my whole life for. I believe that God puts the desire for something more in our hearts to seek Him more. And maybe that's the desire that God's putting in your heart this morning. I also believe that the desire will never be fulfilled in this life so that we will continue to seek more and more of Him. I have beautiful relationships with others in my life, but none compare to the relationship I have with Christ. Now, there's going to be three things that I want to share briefly with you that God has used in my life to help me become a masterpiece. The first is being surrounded by women who encouraged me in my journey. That's community. There were so many times along the way that I wanted to give up in my, in my journey toward Christ and my recovery journey. But by God's grace, he put women in my life to continue to encourage me. Number two, even with my flaws and my broken parts, I am still a woman of God. I may not be perfect, and I'm not perfect. But my imperfections don't take away from the fact that I am God's masterpiece. And I'm constantly reminded that He is at work in me. Thirdly, I share my story wherever I can. I get to share it on a day like today to you. I share in small groups within Celebrate Recovery. And I share my story with women wherever I get the chance. Sharing the story of what God has done in my life is part of my healing process. And as I heal, I grow in Christ. I was humbled and was a little surprised when Matt asked me to speak about being a woman God created me to be. I wondered what I could share that could make an impact on others. But as I reflect back on the last 10 years at River Ridge Church, there have been so many beautiful, caring, and loving women and men of God. My community. 
that I've been blessed to know and have a relationship with. And I trust that we all, what we all have said today is a blessing and an encouragement to each of you. He's still molding me into the woman he created me to be, and I trust that he is molding you as well. Thank you all for listening. Hey, that was awesome. Let's give all these ladies one more round of applause. Hey, after the service in just about a minute now, um, we have Discovering River Ridge. So if you are new to River Ridge, want to find out what this place is all about, it's right out those doors in the starting point room. Come to invite you to that. It'll be about 10 minutes long, and uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these women and their courage to get up and share their stories and to share what you have laid on their hearts. And God, I pray that as a result, that the women in this church would be and live and become the women of God that you want them to be. And help us as men to encourage the women in our lives to be all that they can be and all that you want them to be. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.